0: Welcome to Energy Radio. On this episode, we talk all things thermal energy. Uh, but before we welcome our guest uh, to episode fifty-nine, I want to welcome my co-host, as always, Lisa Katz. Lisa, welcome to Energy Radio.
1: Good morning, Matt. How are you today?
0: Couldn't be better. And you?
1: I'm great. I'm excited to uh, hear from our guest today. I met her at the IDA conference for the first time, and. She was great, set me up actually with a women's group as well, which was uh, fantastic. So uh, anyways, looking forward to hearing uh, what we dive into today.
0: Right on. Well, let's, let's get at her. Uh, with, uh, without further ado, we want to welcome Kim Garcia from Cleaver Brooks. Uh, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Good morning. Um, I was saying earlier, long-time long time listener, first-time caller. So, Thank
1: you uh. very much. <laughs> yeah, so 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 Kimberly was telling us uh, earlier, Matt, that not only is she listening to uh, uh, Energy Radio, but she's also tuning into Energy News. So that's oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, nice. and so and so interestingly enough, I went to go introduce Mark, and she already knew Mark because of Energy News. So of it was yeah, it was cool. he's kind of famous. He
0: is. Yeah. He is famous, and those listening on on uh, on the radio on your podcast app. Sorry about the audio here. Uh, in downtown St. Catharines, but uh, Mark has sporting a great uh, handlebar mustache, but you can't see that, so you have to picture it on the radio. Anyways, <laughs> let's uh, let's jump in, Kim uh, Kimberly. Uh, that'll take some getting used to, Kimberly. <coughs> let's right. we're going to talk Cleaver Brooks, all things thermal energy. But first, let's talk about you. Can you uh, give the uh, the listeners, your origin story. If you were a superhero, uh, what would your, what's your origin story? How did you get to here? You can be as, um, you can go wherever you want with that, but give us your story that brings you here today.
2: Sure. So um, I'm going to go way back in the Wayback Machine. Um, You know, when I didn't, I wasn't always looking to be a Marine engineer. Um, I don't think anybody kind of selects that, um, when they're in high school, but, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life when I was in high school. Um, my family is a military family. So, um, I, you know, I kind of started off, um, on that path and I, I joined the Massachusetts Air National Guard, uh, right after high school. And, um, did some work on the A-10. I don't know if you're familiar with that aircraft, uh, but was in avionics um, in the, in the Air National Guard in Westfield, Massachusetts. And during that whole basic training tech school kind of journey, um, kind of realized that I was good at uh, electricity and electronics, which I never would have figured out in high school. Um, So, you know, it, while I was in the, in the guard, um, you got tuition free for state schools. And, um, I really loved the military. I loved the, um, the organization and, you know, just the rules and regulations, which sounds weird, but I, I really thrive on that kind of thing. So, um when i was looking for colleges to go to within the state um uh, massachusetts maritime academy is a is a state uh school so i was like you know what this is perfect um i get to stay within um a regimented kind of lifestyle and and go to college and free so Um, That started my journey. Um, And if you're not familiar with Massachusetts Maritime Academy, uh, it's a, it's a small school on Cape Cod um, Mm -hmm. where they churn out uh, Marine transportation, Marine engineers, all the, all the people that are running uh, the ships that are all bogged down in, in the harbors right now. Um, (laughs) And uh, you know, during my courses there, um, I realized that engineering was a really good fit for me. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't a lot of, um, I mean, obviously we study theory and everything like that, but mass maritime is more of a practical hands-on kind of school. And, um, you know, we learned steam, we learned steam on a, you know, old converted cargo ship, um, you know all old school, you know, gauges and dials and valves and everything, no PLCs, nothing like that. So you really got to understand how steam worked. And, um, you know, we did some pretty crazy things on, on that ship as cadets, you know, lighting off, you know, these massive four burner bunker C, um, you know, B&W boilers, um, which is an experience when you're 19 or 20 years old, and um, yeah, and so I graduated there with a degree in marine engineering and a Coast Guard license, a third engineer's Coast Guard license. Now, when we Um,
0: can we we unpack that? I love, I love that, I love that you said, you know, in university nobody dreams of being. A marine <laughs>
1: engineer.
0: <laughs> I know a lot of people that probably dream about being marine biologists at that age, but not, yeah, a, yeah. not a, uh, that term. Marine engineer. I'm not sure that's widely recognized in it. Certainly, uh, it's not. I've heard it, I but I, I couldn't define like or t- define that term because I, I think of is that like a stationary engineer, an operating engineer, or what define the marine it engineer is. for us. It, it is. is okay.
2: It's very similar um, to stationary engineer. Um, you know, we're learning all of the same things. You know, we have to take all the same engineering courses, uh, thermodynamics, you know, materials, strength of materials, you know, all those fun classes. Um, and then the other side of it, the practical side of it, is that in order to, it, it's kind of um, chicken and the egg kind of thing. In order to graduate from, at least when I was there, um, to graduate from Mass Maritime, you also had to. You had to have the degree to be able to graduate with your degree, but also had to have the qualifications to get licensed by the Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. So oh. um, we had to spend a certain amount of time um, on the open water or at least on a ship. Um, wow. And, you know, every year for um, 90 days or between 60 and 90 days, um, I would go out to sea. Um, wow. whether, whether it was on our training ship that we had or, um, my junior year, I actually, uh, did a commercial shipping stint with, um, a company that did, um, a cycle between Guam and Saipan. Um, and I was on a, a roll-on, roll-off ship. Um, and, uh, but it was, they, they had diesel engines and it was boring. You know, you go from uh, you go from this uh, steam powered ship that everything's pretty manual on for the most part to going on this massive commercial ship that was um, diesel and all, you know electronic and PLCs and everything like that. And the only hands-on kind of stuff was if you were doing maintenance. So, just
0: tread, um, tread, caref- tread carefully. Lisa's a diesel engine girl. So
1: just tread
2: It was really cool, you know, cause we changed out a couple of, um, cylinders and everything like that. So it was really cool watching that whole process, but on a day to day, um, You know, there wasn't anything that was like massively exciting going on, you know, nothing was breaking down the water, you know, the water levels were, you know, there wasn't carryover or, 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 um, water hammers that scared everybody, um, to death, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. Um, so, you know, So you
0: leave MMA as a Marine engineer and then where do you go next?
2: Well, the universe had a little bit of a different plan for me, and I had my first daughter uh, in December of the year that I graduated college. No way. Out there. Um, so I actually stayed close to home, um, which wasn't my original plan, and so I could have a support system, and cool. uh, I, I did a year stint at a, at a company that did industrial um, vacuum systems and it wasn't my gig. And then um, I got hired by a small manufacturing firm in Western Massachusetts called Turbo Steam, and they manufactured steam turbine generator sets. Mm. And that's where, and I I had experience with steam turbine generator sets on the ship, obviously. Um, so it wasn't new to me, and it kind of married, you know, the the things that I went to school for, um, and. So it was it was really cool to to land that job and I I started as an <laughs> applications engineer there and um, was really fortunate that the family that owned the company was very involved in um, the policy side of energy um, you know that was 21 years ago and um, you know when when CHP was only discussed amongst ourselves. You know, right. people in the industry, um, and it was very interesting. And that was, you know, twenty years ago was my first IDA conference. Wow, mm. uh, yeah, which is so funny because I think it was it was in Austin, Texas, which is where Lisa wow. and I, Lisa and I met um, um, a few weeks ago. <clears throat> so twentieth anniversary there, but um, and. Worked my way up at TurboSteam, you know, was took over as a sales manager and then, um, then the director of operations. So, uh, that was that was a really rewarding job, you know, taking care of manufacturing and, um, you know, day to day operations and everything like that. And then before the company closed, I was the general manager, um, of the company. And then I left, I left that company and went to, Uh, one of Cleaver Brooks manufacturer's representative companies in the Northeast Bleak Equipment um, and did various things for them, industrial sales engineer, and I managed their Albany branch for a bit. And, uh, you know, when the, when the Herthig sales manager position opened up at Cleaver Brooks, um, I was like, yes, this is going to get me back into power. Um, so I was super happy and I've been with Cleaver Brooks for three and a half years in the position who I went from sales manager to product line manager now for Herzig's and energy recovery mm. and, um, you know, have been involved in the Cleaver Brooks family, I guess you could say for, for a little over eight years now. Wow. wow. Cool. And,
1: and, and Kimberly, do you focus on. Like a specific region, then, as as the HRSG sales manager, or are you right across North America, or how does that work? I actually take care of the product line for the whole company, so globally, wow. the world of great <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that must be nice. Yeah. yeah, presumably you get to travel to some pretty exciting places now and again, right? Uh, I do.
2: Um, we haven't, I mean, we have such a uh, an amazing group of um, manufacturers representatives that, you know, um, I haven't been able to get outside of the country to do a lot of HERSIG stuff, um, you know, outside of North America. The HERSIG market's pretty competitive. Um, but, uh, you know, across the U.S. and, and Canada, um, yeah, it's been awesome.
0: Now, just before we get get Deep into Cleaver Brooks HRSG waste heat recovery world. Um, back to Turbo Steam, um, you know, at the risk of name dropping, that was the cast mm. family that you were working with, right?
2: Absolutely. Yes, yeah. it is.
0: So I, I remember I had heard about, you know, Tom Caston through a variety of, um, you know, people and avenues, and he's kind of, you know, very famous in the space and Turbo yep. Steam. And after, I think he went to do like, you know, district energy development, including the big project out in Rochester, and so yeah. I, I ran into him at an event, and I, I said, "Are you Mr. Caston?" And
1: <laughs> he,
0: he said, "Yes." And who are you? And I told him the connection. Very gracious, gracious man. And then his Absolutely. son, who I think you work pretty closely with, is kind of kind of, a, kind of a big deal now, right?
2: He is a big deal, uh, Sean Caston. Yep, he's a um, a rep in Illinois.
0: A, a, federal, a federal congressman out of out of out of illinois a de- democrat right yes yeah. yeah 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 good good cool so so yeah yeah the policy side that was kind of a natural thing i think for him right to get get into absolutely policies. so yeah. yeah
2: and it was you know super educational for me um you know just coming out of out of school um you know to to actually see that side of the business um you know, really helped me just understand, you know, what we were up against. And, you know, there's also the selling side of, of CHP, you know, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. especially 20 years ago, you know, it was all based on payback, you know, what are you going to give to me and, you know, sustainability and reliability, all that stuff was kind of a backseat. So how the tables have turned.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, that's yeah. And and I'm sure you you're, you know, growing up in that environment with those folks, you know, really, really benefited you. And it's good to have, you know, know, a CHP advocate, you know, uh, on the inside as well. I mean, he has other portfolios as well, but uh, no, a cool, a cool uh, nugget to your your story. And, um, you know, you helped them, you know, in a big way, I'm sure. So let's go now to Cleaver Brooks and walk us through you know, what you guys do and we're going to get more narrow, I think, as we go here, but kind of give us the Cleaver Brooks, you know, story and and kind of elevator pitch, and then we'll start to unpack uh, in some more detail as we go.
2: Sure. So Cleaver Brooks, um, for those who have not heard, uh, been around for quite a while, Um, started in 1929 with a couple, a couple of dudes, uh, playing around with boilers in their garage. Um, were were
0: the dudes Cleaver and Brooks? Like they
2: were (laughs) John Cleaver and Raymond Brooks. Okay. Those were the guys. Um,
0: that's cool.
2: Yeah. And, um, you know, from that point, you know, Cleaver Brooks has, has gone and basically you know their claim to fame. Our claim to fame is is the power of total integration. You know, um, whatever you need in the boiler room, we can provide to you. Uh, single source manufacturer. Uh, we manufacture all over North America, um, in two, including a couple places in in Canada. We've got a, a plant in Terrebonne and a plant in uh, Stratford. Um, so we we manufacture. You know, small boilers, small condensing boilers, um, all the way up to, you know, large power, power boilers, so over 500,000 pounds per hour of steam. Um, and, you know, all the, all the balance of plant equipment, deaerators, um, you know, burners, stacks, um, you know, everything, condensate receiver tanks, um, you know, anything that you would need to complete that uh, steam cycle uh, we will provide. Um, so that is very high level elevator pitch for, for Cleaver <laughs> Um, but it's a, it's an amazing company to work for, um, with a, an outstanding team of people. Um, and so <clears throat> I work out of the, um, Lincoln, Nebraska office, and that is where we manufacture our, our, uh, industrial water tubes. And, um, so, you know, the the standard D types that you see with, with you know, standard burners, um, my product line, which is the Hersig and waste heat boilers, and then um, the really large engineered boilers, you know, some of which have gone up into the oil sands,
1: just um, really, really big uh, monsters of boilers. So. And Kimberly, what uh, <clears throat> what differentiates you, like, what is differenti- differentiates Cleaver Brooks from basically your competitors in the market? Is it some of the kind of what you were just explaining there, like that kind of, you know, in some ways turnkey kind of approach or or what, uh, yeah. what would you say differentiates you? I would say that. I
2: think, you know, some of the sound bites that I've heard over, you know, the past eight years that I've been in the boiler business is that, um, the, having one source of responsibility and one, you know, finger to point, if it gets to that point is super important for customers. Um, and, you know, Cleaver Brooks has heard that loud and clear. So, you know, that I would say is, is one of the major differentiators is that, you know, we manufacture our own, bo- our own burners, boilers, stacks, you know, and, and you could buy the whole package, from just one manufacturer. And then, you know, that follows through all the way um, through delivery, project management, you know, startup and commissioning. You're not having to, you know, bring four or five different companies in to start up your boiler. It's our factory or even our reps um, going in and and starting up that boiler for you. And they know, you know, from, you know, burner entrance all the way to stack exhaust. Um, So that is definitely, um, a bonus for us and, and our, one of our key differentiators along with our extensive rep network, which is amazing. Um, you know, there's some really, really great, uh, companies out there that are in this sector and, and, um, you know, th- they do everything from installation and operation and maintenance, you know, and, and we rely heavily on those guys, boots on the, boots on the ground. Let's do
0: let's do a little bit of um, boiler 101, if if we can, uh, Kimberly, uh, get, get sure. that right. um, Let's start with fire tube, water tube, walk yeah. us through the, the difference.
2: So if you even just take the definition of a fire tube um, and a water tube, it's right in their name. So um, with a fire tube, you have the fire going through the tubes and the water surrounding. And then with a the water tube, the water is in the tubes and the fire is uh, surrounding, if that makes sense. That's, That's-, perfect.
0: That's perfect. Now let's talk about the different sections of a, well, not really a fire tube, but a water tube. We got, in general terms, and you can fill in the gap, um, but we got a furnace, we got an evaporator, we got an economizer. If I miss anything, fill it in, but talk to me through what's happening in each of those sections.
2: So in your, um, you've got your furnace, which is basically, you know, the fuel being burned, um, and that fuel and that heat is going to heat up the, the water coming from, let's call it the water, the water drum, which is, let's say it's a, it's the bottom of your boiler. Um, so think of it as kind of like a, a tea kettle, you know, you're, you're heating up, uh, that water and and once that water starts to turn to steam, it's going to rise, right? Um, and it's going to it's going to collect up in what we call the steam drum. Um, and that from that point, um, and this is all by natural circulation. Um, it, by that point, the steam is collecting in the steam drum, and that's where you take the steam off of for whatever process it may be, whether it's heating or manufacturing or food processing or whatever you're using a skateboard.
1: Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was, I was going to, I wanted to unpack something that Kimberly and I got into a little bit at the, uh, at the show. So we're talking about burning a fuel here, which, you know, a lot of the time is obviously natural gas. Mm-hmm. Do you like at, at Cleaver Brooks with the whole kind of global emphasis on um, you know, kind of this emission sensitivity, are you seeing Mm -hmm. a decrease in business in certain regions, uh, or across certain markets? Like, what are you guys seeing because of this, you know, big kind of climate, uh, sustainability, uh, call to action?
2: Yes. There's a lot of that, a lot of uncertainty right now around that, but, um, I, I think it depends also on the product line. Um, you know, we've definitely seen an increase in inquiries for electric boilers, um, which we can talk about. Um, you know, we've, we've seen a decrease in certain pockets, you know, California, uh, New York City, where, you know, no new combustion kind of thing. Um, and, you know, for me, obviously, CHP makes the most sense. Where we have low uh, fuel prices and high electric prices, so obviously that spark spread. And and following those markets there, um, but I think it all depends on um, depends on the region. Um, it depends on what's going on, uh, what kind of incentives are available, um, you know, and what that particular market looks like. You know, if it's a If it's manufacturing, um, you know, certain silos of manufacturing are doing really well right now. Um, And we're seeing a lot of activity from those kind of um, Mm -hmm. silos, like carbon manufacturing is doing really well. Um, Paper and wood products, believe it or not, are doing really well right now. But, um, you know, colleges and universities are holding capital close to their best. Um, Mm -hmm. COVID is really... Hurt them, and they're you know spending their money on on other things. Um, and let's face it, CHP is uh, horrifyingly non-essential. So you know a lot of those it, it, it could fall off the funding map if uh, if there aren't other drivers there. So that's kind of what we're seeing right now
0: non-essential depending on who you talk to if you talk to my kids
1: absolutely, who rely,
0: rely on my salary they kind of think whether they know <laughs> <it's>
1: <laughs>
0: let's build on that topic of fuels like sure. what, what what is available to us those of us who want to you know need steam i mean the need for steam in particular and hot water um it's not going anywhere, right? We need that high quality thermal energy. What's available to us, you know, with, with, if we're making steam from a fuel perspective, Kimberly?
2: Anything. I'm getting,
0: I'm um, getting, better. it's almost, almost <laughs> rolling off the top. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Anything. And I, I have a feeling you're leading me into the H word, but, um, you know, uh, <laughs> obviously I got not. My
0: tat ready to go. I got my, <laughs> um,
2: you know, not, Well, obviously we're not really seeing number six anymore, but, um, you know, most of everything that we're seeing is, is natural gas, renewable gas, biogas, um, and, you know, occasionally number two backup, Mm. you know, that that's kind of, but if we want to go into the hydrogen world, um, you know, hydrogen isn't a new thing for Cleaver Brooks. We've been burning hydrogen for years, um, Mm. and, and I think that, you know, when you talk to the, any of the other manufacturers in the industry, um, hydrogen is not new, you know, even the gas turbine guys, um, you know, hydrogen is not new there. And it was funny because I was, I was um, studying for this and, and I went back and listened to Jonathan Coleman and, and Rob Thornton and, you know... Everybody says even at idea this is a really good marketing <laughs> marketing tool um, I think it's great. I think it's going to be awesome once we can get the infrastructure in place um, but I think you know there's a lot that needs to be done and And my personal opinion is that we really need to, at least here in the U S we really need to focus on the electrical infrastructure, um, before we start, you know, and maybe it's in parallel, but, um, I really think that needs to be addressed sooner than later. Um, Mm. you know, there's, there's just so much that needs to be, um, upgraded and, you know, before we start really getting down the path of electrification of everything, mm. uh,
1: or we're going to have some really big problems. Let, let's unpack that a little bit, or I would like to at least. Um, so, we, you know, you talked about electric boilers. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the H word, hydrogen. There's renewable fuels like biogas. What is Cleaver Brooks seeing? Are you seeing more discussion happening around electric boilers? Are you seeing more discussion happening around hydrogen and biogas? Like, what are you guys seeing from a fuel or power perspective, I guess.
2: We're seeing all of it. Um, a lot of inquiries, you know, um, things aren't necessarily, you know, moving forward on those type of projects, but a lot of, a lot of engineering firms um, asking the question, which is, which is awesome. Um, we've been doing really well on the electric boiler side. Um, I have mixed emotions about that. I'm, super happy that obviously Clever Brooks is successful in that market. Um, but I also am concerned um, that people are going to think that the electric boiler is going to be their savior for carbon mm-hmm. emissions. And that isn't necessarily the case, especially if you're putting in an electric boiler where your electricity is coming from a coal-fired um, power plant. Mm-hmm. Um, so And I also caution that, you know, just coming from the world of um, steam turbine generator sets and seeing some of the hurdles that people have on the electrical distribution side, you know, just putting in a a steam turbine generator set, um, putting in a 50 megawatt electric boiler is not as easy as some people think. Um, There's a
1: lot that goes into that
2: uh, and go ahead. No, I was gonna going to
1: say, and from a size perspective, Kimberly, like what are you guys manufacturing currently on the electric boiler side? How small and big do you go? We go up to, I believe a hundred megawatts. Wow. Um, so wow. yeah, lots of steam. Um,
2: I can say, I don't think, I mean, I'm not involved in the day to day on that, but, um, you know, I would, I would force when I first started seeing a lot of inquiries on electric boilers, I was back at um, Blake, and this was probably around five years mm-hmm. ago. And we were getting inquiries from utilities for electric boilers, which is where I started seeing that first and uh, mostly for startup activities so that you know their their startup emissions weren't uh, affected by you know their permits and everything like that. Um, and then it just really started, you kind of branch out um, and non-traditional, you know, customers are asking for it too. So, um, but I think there, I think a lot of education needs to happen. You know, it, it's, it's a, there are huge benefits to it, um, to electric boilers, but, um, you know, also have to take a look at the other side of that and, and how complicated that type of project can be.
1: Right.
0: At least I haven't talked to you about this yet, but I think in Ontario there is a play to put in an electric boiler for small industrials to get you into Class A global adjustment. uh
1: uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and, smart. And,
0: and and be a be a cost savings device. You don't have to run it all the time now, but then it sets you up as a transitionary uh, technology for when our electricity price stabilizes and gas goes up because of our carbon tax. So, anyways, it's yeah. something for us to noodle. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And for Kimberly's benefit, just so you know the differences. So we have class A and we have class B customers here. So depending on your NAX code, if you're 31, 32, or 33, if you're over 500 kilowatts, you actually can participate in class A versus class B. So what it does is it allows you to mitigate your global adjustment costs, which are fairly significant. And if you can mitigate it by basically either shutting down your operations, so curtailing or using generation behind the meter, or I mean, there's a variety of different kind of ways that you can do that. the The cost savings are huge. Like we're talking over five hundred thousand dollars per megawatt per year. Wow. That's yeah. Huge. So it's it's pretty significant. So uh, yeah, we should be talking about it to our customers about that, Matt.
0: Well, it's there's a big university, uh, may or may not be my alma mater. Uh, I mean, it's no, it's no Massachusetts uh, Marine Academy, but a uh, pretty reputable university that is in a big way looking at, you know, electric boilers. And in part, it's because of, you know, how demand gets managed. So uh, let's go. We're jumping around here, which is good. Let, let's go back to the H word. Um, mm-hmm. are, there, are there certain things? Because I want, I want to ultimately get to waste heat boilers and, and HRSGs. Um, and then who knows where we'll end. But. On the, on the hydrogen side, are there, are there particular kind of considerations from a combustion perspective that that, uh, that, that you know, come into play as we start to either blend hydrogen or burn pure hydrogen?
2: Yeah, I think emissions, um, you know, obviously that's the, the, the buzzword. Um, but, you know, if we could, I think blending is going to be the best way to start um but as far as you know there are tons of things that need to be taken into consideration when you're burning hydrogen um there's a lengthy list of them that i don't know off the top of my head but um the burner group definitely has has um gone down that path but you know burns, i think
0: it burns hotter right like it burns differently yeah
2: absolutely it it does burn hotter um which you know increases all sorts of other bad things that can happen. Um, but, you know, most of the hydrogen firing that we've seen would be on, I guess what we would call it the gray hydrogen scale. Mm. Um, There's so many different colors. I can't keep track with which one is which, but um, you know, byproducts. So we're not necessarily uh, seeing at least new boilers going into you know, because somebody just put in a hydrogen producing plant. These are um, these are projects that you know customers happen to have a byproduct of hydrogen for whatever you know um, manufacturing process, chemical, fertilizer, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have this, let's call it free hydrogen, which I'm sure it's not going to be. There's going to be a price on it at some point, but um, you know, those are the projects where like i said we've been doing it for a while because it's accessible the customer has it they're going to use it um so yeah that that's, that's I, think there's a site,
0: I think there's a site um across the river uh from from where i am right now in buffalo that they produce an off gas that's <laughs> hydrogen and they uh they, they burn it in one of your boilers uh i remember hearing about it from uh one of your, your reps, Mr. Brad Finlayson, who has since uh, <laughs> moved Retired. into reti- well-earned retirement, but, uh, yeah. um, yeah, no, it's, it's, that's great hydrogen play as well. So let's, uh, let's get into your sphere of influence. So you, you are the, I think there's a bit of a reshuffle, right? You are the product manager. Does that mean you have like, um, P and L responsibility for that line of product? Is that that what that means?
2: Uh, not necessarily, well, not necessarily the L part. Um, <laughs> the profit part, yes. Um,
0: Make brain, I love it.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, so I'm responsible for business development, um, marketing, anything that is, uh, that and in, in closing of projects. Anything that is, re- you know... Related to um, herses, I I follow projects all the way through. Um, actually, next week I'm going to watch a startup. Um, so I like to to remain part of the project. Um, one because I like to see, you know, I like to watch from beginning to end, and mm-hmm. uh, to keep that continuity with the customer too. You know, some of these really large projects, you're you're starting with one person and ending with another so you know just remaining visible throughout the whole project i think is really important so that that is that's kind of what i do
0: okay and and so you you have her heat recovery steam generators and waste heat boilers what is the what is the difference kimberly
2: (sighs) that's a good question the the difference is uh, Herzig's be typically behind a gas turbine or a reciprocating engine. And then we see boilers just taking heat from anything, you know, thermal oxidizers, uh, exothermic chemical processes, um, you know, smelters, anything that, that produces, um, you know, a ton of heat and just, you know, bringing that heat into a boiler and creating steam.
0: So let's let's, th- let's walk through them in a bit more detail, um, kind of one by one. So on the HRSG, the HERSIG um, space, walk us through a, a typical project, who's best positioned to be doing a project like that, um, those kind of things.
2: Sure. So, you know, I joke about this, and it's kind of like my soundbite, but um, nobody ever walks into a situation and says, I just really want a HERSIG. <laughs> and then, and then but I'm going to, but maybe I can generate power too. Um, so, you know, we kind of follow suit behind the prime mover guys, you know, the, the solar, the Siemens, the you Baker Hughes, the E's of the world, you know, those, those are the guys that are really driving, I think, um, the sale, um, mm-hmm. and creating the need for power generation on site. So. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, it was, you know, colleges and universities, um, you know, really high demand steam users, high demand um, electric users um, that that were kind of like the stereotypical customer um, over the the probably five years. I've really seen. Um, non-traditional customers as education gets out there about on-site power, when we're starting to talk about microgrids and, you know, weather plays a huge part in the education for for CHP, um, you know, when we're talking about resiliency. And so we've seen non-traditional customers, you know, and the aggregate size of, of power projects kind of coming down a little bit more, um, you know, with uh, with a surgeon recip engine recovery, um, and so you know, colleges and university, anywhere that there's steam. I mean, you know, everybody, everybody's putting things on the cloud, you know. And these data centers need filling steam absorption chillers, um, steam driven centrifugal chillers. Um, you know, horticulture is big. Um, you know, with that and high electric demand, high heat demand, CO2, um, you know, anywhere where there's a, a heat demand or a sustainable steam demand is where we've really been seeing, um, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of activity, okay. at least on the CHP side.
0: Right now on the waste heat boiler side, I mean, what there could be people who are listening who may not know that they're sitting on a waste heat resource. I mean, what, what, who, who, who should be looking at waste heat boilers?
2: If you're sending a significant amount of heat up a stack somewhere, um, then you should make that inquiry. Um, you know, any of these manufacturing firms that are, that have thermal oxidizers, you know, to VOC, um, you know, getting rid of VOCs, any of, of that, um, you know, anybody that uses a huge amount of heat for, um, for whatever, you know, chemical process or, or like I said, manufacturing process, you know, those are the types of, of, um, customers that we target, um, Mm -hmm. with that. And, you know, there's also a lot of, a lot of, uh, crackdown from the epa going around and taking a look at a lot of these um you know large heat emitting sources and saying guys mm-hmm. you, you really need to do something about this um mm-hmm. the scrubbing isn't enough you you really need to figure out how to how to um take care of this and and i think you know even i'm just gonna get a little bit on my soapbox here but Please. even if you if you don't have a need for steam, you know, if you, if you don't have this massive heating need or this massive process need or whatever, but you just have a ton of heat, throw in a steam turbine generator set after that waste heat boiler. Condense the steam. Um, make some on-site power. You know, waste heat to power is, mm-hmm. is, is starting to become a big deal. Um, we have a new tax incentive um, from the federal government waste heat to power here in the U.S., um, something that we didn't have before. And so I think I'm in a a unique situation because I've been on both sides. So, you know, um, seeing the opportunity for somebody to increase their steam pressure um, in a waste heat boiler, you know, going up to 600 pounds versus, you know, 150 pounds isn't really going to break the bank or the design on a, on a system like that. Let us, uh, or talk to a steam turbine generator set manufacturer and use that steam turbine as a pressure reducing valve and make some on site power. Um, you know, that, and, and I think that, that should be looked at much more than it is, um, Mm -hmm. You know, because I think everybody's kind of like in their, you know, in their silo, I'm going to, you know, I want to sell a boiler or I want to sell a steam turbine generator set. But if we can create that opportunity um, to say, hey, let's work with the steam turbine manufacturer guys, Um, let's have a conversation with them and see how we can adjust the design of the waste heat boiler or even the herzig um, Mm -hmm. to accommodate a steam turbine generator set. And then you can make a combined cycle.
1: And Kimberly, when you talk about like a lot of waste heat, just for the benefit of our listeners, what does that mean? Like, how do you define that?
2: Um, You know, so we start, at least on the water tube side, um, you know, we start, you can really make a project move forward. um, You know, if you're looking at above a hundred thousand pounds per hour at, I don't know, let's say, 800 degrees F or even above that you know um that that would really make a good project um you know we've seen you know much more than that we've seen less than that too but you know that's kind of like the sweet spot
1: cool perfect thank you
0: and on the bigger side like how how big can you go within your your group I don't know even how you, you measure that but uh, is the sky the limit, or you have a certain area where you kind of stop, or how do you manage that?
2: i I try to keep it within the package size frame. So if you can't ship it, then that's probably where we draw the line. <laughs> okay. um, so you know, it all depends on what's coming in um, you know, as far as temperature and volume of of heat. Um, one other thing to really, uh, think about is what's in your heat. You know, if if you have a lot of, if you're burning batteries, that might not be a good application mm. for a heat <laughs> boiler or at least Cleaver Brooks. Um, but, you know, or even municipal solid waste, you know, that's kind of a, a scary um, road to go down because you never know what's coming through the boiler. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of cleanup that that can happen before it comes into the boiler but um not to say that we that we don't want uh dirty exhaust gas but you know there are certain things that that we don't want going through the boiler for corrosion or you know we want you to have your boiler for 30 or 40 years um without having you know to replace tubes you know every year or whatever so yeah that's something we definitely take a look at
0: very good so what's let's as we kind of start to land the plane uh, what what what's next kind of from your get back on that soap opera soap box <laughs> not soap opera we don't need we don't need more of that <laughs> uh, get back on that soapbox and and from kimberly garcia's perspective what what do you see as kind of next in, in your space what what what's exciting for you as you uh as you pursue the next five years let's say
2: um, I think you know taking a look at heat recovery from from reciprocating engines is is really exciting for us, you know, just taking a look at um, how we can uh, you know offer some of the the products that we already have in our um, in our pockets for for different kind of applications. and then you know something that i that I read um the other day, I think it was from the CHP Alliance or something like that, but they were talking about CHP 2.0, uh, which I thought was interesting. And it was basically instead of natural gas fired, it was, you know, they're talking about renewables and, um, you know, the, those renewable natural gas and, and kind of just taking it up a step further um, for
1: combined heat and power, um, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> I went like this because I, anytime we start talking about renewable natural gas and yeah, right. I get excited. Yeah, so, biogas
2: and stuff like that. I mean, I really think that, um, that those, I, you know, things have, have, have been quiet. And I think, you know, we, we call kind of like the, the, uh, the double black swan with COVID, uh, with steel prices, with, you know, fuel prices and everything like that. um, I think everybody's kind of just really being cautious as where they're spending um, their capital. Uh, But I think, you know, and everybody's kind of on the edge of their seat right now, just waiting to see what's going to happen with our infrastructure bill uh, Mm -hmm. down here. Um, And once all of that gets pushed through, uh, I think there's going to be a huge um, boom in the marketplace for, for anything uh, efficient, you know, energy efficiency. Um, can
1: you, Kimberly, can you talk just very quickly about that uh, infrastructure bill? For some some people in Canada, they're they're not maybe aware of it. Maybe some people in the U.S. who are listening are not aware of it. Can you talk just at a high level about what that talk, is? Talk
0: to, the, talk to the people who are living under a rock. <laughs> um,
2: it, well, I'll say changes frequently. <laughs> just reading our news articles from yesterday to today. Um, and basically it's going to give the infrastructure bill is targeted to um you know the electrical infrastructure in the US which is you know i'm surprised that it hasn't gotten worse than just what happened in texas um but you know it's it's a a carbon free um net zero by 2050 kind of thing. And, and, um, you know, the amount of money that is or will be spent, it changes on a daily basis, but we really need that, uh, to move forward and they're just going to put money behind, um, you know, developing all these new clean technologies and, um, um, and funding, you know, research and everything like that and and hopefully bringing down the cost of a lot of this stuff, um, so that you don't need tons of incentives in order for projects to move forward. Um, so that's kind of what everybody's waiting for, um, right now and just see what's going to happen. And, you know, having one person holding them up, holding up boats and everything like that is that's my own.
0: Can't you call your, uh, can't you call your buddy Sean and and see? <laughs>
2: can,
0: can Let's do, get it uh, done. Yeah, can he whip? <laughs> can he whip the boats? Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love that double black swan reference. I'm gonna. I don't know if I have to pay a royalty to somebody, but I'm gonna. <laughs> I I kept calling it the COVID hangover, but. Uh, yeah. the double back swan that's even better i'm gonna i'm gonna leverage that so well kimberly this has been really fun I appreciate you kind of uh, hanging with us even without Thank a, a road map um if people want to find you what's the best way um aside from you know in the bowels of a ship what's the best way to find
2: <laughs> you? Oh, fun fact i i get really seasick i didn't know that wow. until i got on ship. A- wow yeah. okay um, yeah. So my email address is kgarcia@cleverbrooks.com, at cleaverbrooks.com. Cool. And you can find me on LinkedIn.
0: LinkedIn. Or as somebody referred to me the other day, LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> LinkedIn.
2: LinkedIn. like LinkedIn. that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Good. Well, uh, Kimberly, uh, great to see you, albeit uh, virtually. Looking forward to uh, June, if not earlier, uh, when we see each other uh, in person next. Uh, June is next is the next big IDEA mm-hmm. event up here in Toronto. Um, so for those of you who are big uh, District Energy fans uh, or CHP or anything in between, mark your calendars for June. But, Kimberly, thank you very much. Uh thank Lisa, you. Lisa, thank you for setting this up. And
1: You're most welcome. And, Kimberly, it was great to see you again. Oh, good to see you. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate what you do.
0: Awesome. Keep doing it. Thank you very much and and uh, always a pleasure to have a, a listener on as a guest. Uh, that's, a, that's a special honour for Lisa and I. So on behalf of all of our other uh, listeners out there, if you want to be uh, on the show, uh, send us an email, matt at cemeng.ca and or lisa at cemeng.ca. Uh, and until we are together again next time, uh, stay safe and uh, have fun.